Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business. The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Research on economic freedom is one of the core missions of the Johnson Center. And during the pandemic, unprecedented restrictions were imposed on economic freedom. Measures of economic freedom have proven enormously valuable in allowing economists to confirm the importance of economic freedom for economic growth and human flourishing. Because the policies imposed to contain COVID-19 were unprecedented, they do not fit into the established measures of economic freedom. So what can be done to adjust these measures? This is a question for economists to help address through our research. And joining me today on eConversations to discuss some of the research on this topic is Vincent Miozzi. He's a doctoral student in economics with the Free Market Institute at Texas Tech University. Vincent's a graduate of Hillsdale College in Michigan, one of the nation's leading conservative and free market colleges. Welcome to eConversations, Vincent. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you having me. So, if, if you want, just uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, background, how you got into economics, and, and uh, then sort of looking at economic freedom. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I, uh, like you said, I attended Hillsdale College, and that is where I fell in love with economics, and specifically free market economics, Austrian economics, institutional economics, uh, and obviously economic freedom, where we hold that in very high regard at Hillsdale College. Uh, and that led me to Texas Tech uh, to work with the Free Market Institute there, uh, where I've been fortunate enough to work with a number of scholars and fellow uh, graduate students, uh, and now uh, you know new uh, PhDs uh, working on these specific topics uh, on economic freedom, uh, and you know that's a little bit about that. Well, today we're going to be talking about some research that you've. Uh, uh co-authored with uh, Ben Powell, who's been on this program before and I've known for years. Uh, and, and so tell us a little bit about this uh, uh, project that you got into. In yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the key idea with this project uh, is we just wanted to better measure relative economic freedom in 2020. Um, and uh, that was obviously tricky uh, with the coronavirus pandemic um, because like you said in kind of the brief introduction, uh, existing measures of economic freedom don't really capture a lot of these new responses to uh, COVID-19, particularly the regulations that were put in place uh, by governments, not just here in the United States, but across the world. Uh, and so that was kind of this motivation for this project because economic freedom, uh, as I'm sure we'll discuss, is very important for a lot of you know desirable outcomes for society. Um, you know. Uh, pandemic like this that was met with such a big regulatory response, um, it's very important to kind of look at those effects, uh, especially for future work related to the trade-offs between, you know, health concerns and regulation and, you know, the economic freedom uh, that we desire here. 
So we've used this term economic freedom, but we should probably explain a little bit for, for viewers exactly what we mean, uh, what, what sure. we as economists have in mind when we talk about economic freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So when speaking about economic freedom, uh, at least what um, the literature tends to discuss is the ability for individuals and other private groups to decide how to use their time and talents and the resources themselves without interference from the state or even from oppression or violence from others. So mm -hmm. it comes down to really personal freedom, voluntary exchange. Um, are markets relatively open? Uh, do you have well-defined property rights so you don't have that coercion from other parties? Um, basically, can you buy, sell, trade, invest, take risk without coercion by mm -hmm. some other party? And the, the, the folks at the Fraser Institute, you have their, their maps up there behind it. The Fraser Institute right. has been uh, measuring economic freedom now for, well, it's close to 30 years. Um, and and uh, that, that's uh, sort of the, the metric that we've used in, and uh, economists have used in hundreds of, of different uh, papers now, right? Absolutely. It's a very uh, well-renowned uh, index. Um, it's used in all sorts of research, whether it's uh, specific policy research or academic research, uh, like some of my work. Um, yeah, it's, it's very well-known and, and very credible. Um, what started off, I know, initially as uh, just a dozen or so uh, components and variables, it has expanded now to uh, 43 different variables, um, looking at the institutions that can help measure uh, what we mean by economic freedom. They're, they're trying to measure uh, to the extent, you know, do a country's institutions uh, support this uh, thing of economic freedom that we've been discussing. And, you know, this is important because, I mean, economists going back all the way to Adam Smith have claimed that markets uh, help lead to prosperity and, and human flourishing, but it's a, a metric like this that allows us to actually sort of test that, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, this, this uh, economic freedom index or EFW index is what it's usually referred to uh, is exactly that. It looks at um, just the Adam Smith question. Um, it tests that theory of do markets, do, does economic freedom really lead to growth? Does it lead to prosperity? But it's also been found to lead to other things that are good for society, too. So beyond just things like, you know, basic economic outcomes like, you know, more income, lower taxes, but health benefits, right? Access mm -hmm. to clean drinking water political and civil liberties, uh, all of those, those sorts of things too, um, actually benefit from increases in economic freedom as well. And, and this EFW measure allows uh, scholars and, and other folks to, to look and see that. Now, when we came to 2020, we've had these unprecedented uh, restrictions on economic freedom imposed, like say, uh, certain businesses being closed. And, and But the, the problem is that those don't necessarily there, there's no categories in the economic freedom index to, to measure a lot of these things, which isn't a problem because up until 2020, none of these things ever happened. So why would you even attempt to incorporate them into an index at all, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That was you know one of the primary motivations um, that my co-author Ben Powell and I had with this project was the novelty. Uh, this was a novel virus, and it was met with a novel response, novel regulations. Uh, that, you know, expanded in, in scope and size in, in many different ways that you're exactly right, do not really get captured in these existing measures of EFW. They're, you know, they're all regulations to some extent. Um, but, you know, with even the regulation areas of economic freedom, uh, those 
you know, specific components don't actually capture a lot of these newer regulations. Mm -hmm. They might look at, you know, minimum wage laws and, and uh, other things like that, but they're not really capturing these new things like business closures, school closings, all those sorts of things. So that was the motivation is we wanted to, um, you know, respond to this novel virus, right? There's novel regulations. So how do we capture those and better measure relative economic freedom in 2020? Because that was certainly going to be changed. And so, but fortunately, if you're going to try to measure something like that, well, you need to have measures for all of the countries of the world or a good number of them. Well, fortunately uh, for, for you and Dr. Paula, uh, some folks at the, uh, uh, I think at Oxford, have, have, were, were putting this together, the Our World in Data uh, project, right? So tell us a little bit Absolutely. About yeah, yeah. So they had this uh, lockdown stringency index, or specifically they called it this government response tracker, and they tracked uh, 13 uh, interventions by the government into, you know, nation's economy. Uh, these are, you know, non-health, like, you know, non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions. Um, and they track each of these indicators for every single day of the year uh, for each nation. Um, and we wanted to take that uh, data and merge it into uh, the Economic Freedom of the World Index uh, to help better measure relative economic freedom. So that's what you know where Dr. Powell and I work to adjust that uh, COVID index uh, as well because um, some of the indicators uh, they weren't explicit restrictions on economic freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, for example, they had a vaccination indicator, uh, but it wasn't a mandatory vaccine. It was just, are they available or not? Mm -hmm. So that's not a mandatory restriction. So right. those are the types of things that we had to do to adjust the index to merge it into EFW. So yeah, just, just talk a little bit about you know, what is involved here, because some of you might think like, oh, okay, you get this data and you're, you'll just be able to easily add it in there. But there, there's actually uh, quite a few things you have to, to, to do here to turn the, these uh, measures for every country into something usable you can uh, use for economic freedom. Absolutely. So the Economic Freedom Index, um, it scores countries um, on a scale of 0 to 10, 10 being the most economically free you can be. Uh, and this COVID index from uh, the Oxford Our World and Data Project, uh, it actually has a 0 to 100 scale uh, but 100 was their stringent response. So 100 is the most stringent that a country could be. And so what we had to do was we had to invert that. We had to turn okay. it around um, to have the higher number be the free number. And we also had to rescale it to a scale of 0 to 10 uh, in order to fit it into the Fraser uh, Index of Economic Freedom. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. And what we also found was there was a few cases where the COVID index had subnational data. So for example, in mm -hmm. the United States, a lot of these COVID regulations happened at the state level. They weren't all nationally imposed. And so there was wide variation across states. Uh, you know, you could think of states like California, uh, you could think of states like uh, South Dakota or Texas or Florida, right? New York, all very different. And so where subnational data was available, we adjusted uh, based on population and created the national score for the United States and other countries that way to get a more accurate representation of the policy variation. But you can only do that in the cases where you had the subnational, uh, I guess, COVID stringency data, right? Correct. So it was a so subnational data. That's exactly right. Was only available for the United States, for Canada, for Brazil, uh, for China, and the United Kingdom. 
Um, at the time of collection, it was not available for countries like India and Australia, who had some variation uh, at the subnational level. Uh, that since I know been updated, um, but at the time of collection, that wasn't available. So that's why some of those scores might look a little lower because the United States initially, um, before we corrected for that, they had one of the lowest scores in the world. And that was because the way the Oxford index measures it was they took your most restrictive subregion for each category and created kind of a Frankenstein score that way. So the United States score is a combination of California and New York, New Mexico, uh, very, you know, regulated states uh, that restricted, uh, ec you know, economic freedom and other things during the pandemic. So where subnational data wasn't available, unfortunately, you know, the data was the data. Um, but we, you know, corrected the data for where we could using that subnational level stuff. Well, great. Okay, so yeah, I think you, you ended up with like eight different measures you wanted to include, but you know, that now uh, you, you have a COVID stringency, you, you have a, a measure of COVID policy for, for a large number of countries. And now you have to start to think about, okay, how do you add this to the uh, economic freedom index? So if you can tell us, uh, I think there's like five components of the economic freedom index. And what was your thought about how to, to go about taking this uh, measure of COVID stringency and, and factor it in here. Yeah, so uh, those, we, you're right, we ended up with those eight COVID uh, indicators, uh, those uh, regulatory responses uh, by governments across the world uh, into uh, what we call lockdown regulatory freedom. And yes, we needed to merge it into uh, EFW, uh, which as you said, it has five existing areas. So area one is size of government, uh, which looks at things like taxes, subsidies, transfers. Um, then there's a legal system and property rights, which is area two, mm -hmm. um, you know, which looks at things like are courts impartial? Uh, do you have a reliable police force and how well can you enforce contracts? Uh, stable money is is area three. That's primary, primarily uh, looking at inflation. Um, and then area four is freedom to trade internationally. So that's very common. Are there a lot of tariffs or not? Um, can foreigners easily visit? Um, and then the last one is area five, regulation of credit, labor, and business. And that's where we decided uh, to work with our lockdown regulatory freedom measure, because these were all in a sense, some sort of regulation. Um, but when you break down the regulation components of the EFW index, um, you know, there's regulation of credit um, and labor. So labor is pretty commonly understood, things like minimum wage, collective bargaining and business. And that's, you know, where we noticed a lot of these measures of code regulations were not really getting picked up. And so we, what we did was we created a scalar. Uh, so we took our score and adjusted it similarly to um, Fike did in area two of the existing index, adjusting economic freedom based on gender. Right, so to, uh, tell us a little bit more it. about it, because Rosemary Fike a couple of years ago wanted to come in here and, and do something to, to account for uh, countries that have special restrictions uh, on the economic freedom of women, right? Absolutely. So that's exactly what she did. She created this scalar to adjust area two of legal system and property rights because in countries across the world, men and women don't have equal rights um, mm -hmm. in the same sense. And uh, what she did was she basically created this averaging because, you know, roughly half of the population uh, would not have access to the same legal system and property rights. Now, COVID is a little different in that it affected everybody, men right. and women. Uh, so we we so we have a similar um, spirit of of adjustment, just like Fike did um, for uh, gender. 
um, but we don't have the same averaging effect. We just kind of multiply a scalar through area five of the regulation, and that adjusts the regulation component, which then adjusts the overall component. Uh, and that can lead um, to potentially 10% you know, drop in a country's uh, mm -hmm. economic freedom score, you know, total economic freedom score, but potentially half of their uh, regulation score, the area five score. Now, there were, before we get into some of the numbers on this, there were actually a couple of air COVID policies that did show up, that would have showed up in the Economic Freedom of the World Index already. And I think one was the international travel restrictions, right? Absolutely right. So the Oxford Index did have a measure for international travel restrictions, but we did drop that from the analysis for this paper because EFW already calculates right. that in area four, freedom to trade. Um, so we would be double counting and we don't want to double count, of course. Uh, so that was already captured uh, in the existing area four, specifically um, their you know, measure of freedom of workers to visit. Um, and that turned into almost an entire column of ones and zeros out of 10, um, it, pretty much across the globe. Um, countries were pretty restrictive as far as like they wanted to close off their borders to try right. to prevent spread of the virus. Yeah. And then, I mean, another thing in the United States that we saw, we had a, a big increase in uh, the money supply and uh, that, that is going to show up, not in 2020 because inflation didn't start in 2020, but that is going to show up in, in the uh, monetary area of, of economic freedom, correct? That is absolutely correct. So area three, yeah, sound money, uh, we will see the inflation effect most likely yes, in the 2021 numbers and uh, 2022 as well. Um, but in 2020, that wasn't necessarily captured right away. Um, but on that note, if you go to area one, too, with size of government, there's a little bit of an effect being picked yeah. up because there was obviously a big fiscal stimulus package and, and, and all of that sort of stuff that's getting picked up as well. Um, but there was still a lot of things being missed. Uh, and that was the, you know, again, the motivation of this paper was there's still a lot of COVID regulations that just very new uh, not being captured in the existing index. So that's what we wanted to do to better measure economic freedom. So there, there's two uh, sets of numbers we want to look at. First off, what will be the, uh, the actual lockdown freedom uh, a, a, as you measured yeah. it here? So we have uh, the, the, the top, the freest countries on, on the lockdown freedom. Um, and, and most of these were uh, smaller countries or, or less developed countries where it seems like they just didn't do very much. But uh, off of your list, there, there were some things that were kind of interesting in, in, in there, just sort of looking at that list and trying to eyeball. It was like news reports and everything. Uh, did they line up? One was that uh, countries like uh, New Zealand and Australia, especially New Zealand, turned out relatively well in terms of lockdown freedom. But uh, there, that was really sort of due to the, uh, the one policy they were really able to use, especially in 2020, to protect the, themselves from uh, COVID, right? Absolutely. So New Zealand's uh, lockdown policies, at least in 2020, were relatively concentrated on um, closing their borders and, right. and limiting foreigners to visit. Uh, the idea was, you know, being like that island nation, they could limit the spread of the virus uh, within their borders if they just kind of close off their borders. And so that was their policy in 2020. And that's what we noticed in the data was that was really where they targeted it All across the other, uh, you know, of the eight indicators that we looked at for, for COVID regulations, they were actually relatively free within their borders. Uh, it wasn't until, like you said, 2021, where the virus actually made its way in New Zealand and they started to uh, enforce some other COVID restrictions as well. Right. 
And then another country that uh, got a lot of attention was uh, Sweden, where because they, at one level, rejected lockdown policies. And there were a lot of comparisons made between Sweden and the other Scandinavian countries. But uh, on your measures, you see, like in the top ten, we have Finland, and then like Sweden mm -hmm. and, and Norway are, are right behind there, just out of the, the, the top ten. They were all sort of, I guess the, the, those differences were overblown in the media. The, the, the other Scandinavian countries had a relatively light touch as well, didn't they? Yes, absolutely. So what we actually noticed is that the Nordic countries really stood out as a group. So it wasn't just Sweden, um, but like you mentioned, Finland actually made its way in the top 10, you know, Norway, all of these other countries uh, in that region, they actually stood out as a group as far as having a relatively light approach to regulations. It was primarily voluntary um, as far as their, their um, approach to responding to uh, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but uh, yeah, some of it, you know, was really because I think Sweden, they did have a 10 out of 10 in one of their indicators, which was face coverings, masks. Uh, and so that seemed to be a very hot topic issue um, you know, in the news and the media. So I know uh, that was probably part of why uh, they were held up to as an example of a, of a relatively free uh, country, which they were. Um, but I, again, the Nordic countries really stood out, you know, overall, not just Sweden. And, and so now we're ready to try and adjust the uh, economic freedom. But before we talk together, we have the, the list of the before adjustments. Who were the, uh, the freest countries? And, and not surprisingly, Hong Kong uh, led the list as it usually does most years. All right. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Hong Kong, history of you know, high economic freedom, they were still yeah, towards the top of the list. And, you know, you know although one thing I remember uh, had Bob Lawson on here, who who's the lead author on a lot of this, uh, on this uh, index. And there, there was a pretty notable decline, even before you adjust for uh, uh, COVID, in the average score across the, the, the globe in, in 2020. So now let's look, you, you, let's look, once we make some adjustments, uh, who, who, are the, who remain the freest countries? And so I have the uh, top 10 up here, and we see that, that Hong Kong remains up there as number one. And all of these scores went down somewhat when you make your adjustments, right? Yeah, so most of them gone down. There was actually a few cases where some scores uh, did increase. Um, and a lot of that had to do, um, you know, for example, we, our working theory is that some of these countries that had relatively uh, freer responses to uh, COVID-19, they were lacking state capacity, um, uh, unable to effectively enforce a specific lockdown. And so they had some very high lockdown regulatory freedom scores. And so their scores actually um, went up ever so slightly. But overall, um, it, it's pretty clear that, that COVID regulations really lowered um, countries, you know, all around the world uh, as far as economic freedom. And, you know, uh, interestingly, you know, Sweden, and, well, Sweden doesn't quite make the top 10, uh, but, you know, Certainly Finland and, and uh, Denmark were in the top 10. Denmark uh, actually scores quite well in economic freedom other than the, the size of government. So despite the, uh, the thoughts of, of the uh, Scandinavian countries as socialist in some ways, they, they're quite free other than having a big government. So these are some of the, the top scores. But probably what's more interesting is to see the countries that had uh, big changes in, in their yes. In, in their scores, because that's sort of where we sort of see uh, what the effect was. So some of the countries that, that went down the most, so tell us a little about some of these uh, countries that went down the most or went up the most or, or countries that would be of, of note that we might care about. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Australia was, of course, uh, was held up a lot um, as far as um, a country, um, you know, that had a very stringent COVID response. Um, and this was across the board. So unlike New Zealand, that relatively concentrated uh, things, you know, um, uh, in, on their border, uh, Australia had pretty low indicators. Again, they were lacking some subnational data, but um, they were only made up of you know six states and two territories. Uh, so we don't think those effects are going to be quite as big as something like the United States. Um, but Australia, with being relatively free in the past, um, mm -hmm. in fact, one of the top nations as far as economic freedom, their drop is arguably the most shocking. Um, as far as moving down the list, I mean, they fall out of the top 10, they nearly fall out of the top 25. Um, it's a very significant drop. Um, other countries that had um, really uh, big drops, um, you know, countries like Italy, they, they fell 26 right. spots in their ranking. Uh, Peru fell 25 spots. The Bahamas fell almost 40 spots in their rankings, uh, where some countries jumped up quite a bit. Nicaragua was the highest as far as improving in their ranking. Uh, 43 spots. Um, and then there's other nations too that are not very, you know, not as developed, um, historically unfree. Um, and again, our theory is, you know, they couldn't really enforce lockdowns as well. And mm -hmm. um, they jumped up in their relative rankings around other countries, countries like Seychelles, uh, Tanzania. Uh, they were some of the top movers um, overall in their EFW ranking. And in terms of movement, there's two things. There, one would be the question of how much you, uh, your, your score might have been adjusted downwards, but it's also relative to how many neighbors are very close. Because if you're in a part right. where the scores are relatively far apart, uh, uh, you know, a one tenth of a point adjustment may not drop you behind very many countries. So where the countries are really bunched together, that's probably where you see more ability to, for countries to have really big changes. Absolutely. Um, that's exactly right. And what's interesting, too, is when we do make our COVID adjustments uh, compared to the unit index, um, relative rankings, um, they change quite a bit. But as, as far as the magnitude of change, there is quite significant change as well. So um, overall, um, you know, of, you know, as far as the direction of movements, almost 30 percent of countries kind of change their directions when we make our COVID adjustment. So countries that went up in rankings actually went down in rankings with our adjustment and countries that went up in rankings, went up in rankings after our adjustment. Um, and the pure magnitude as well, um, countries, you know, in the unadjusted index might have only went up or down two or three spots, but in our index, um, those jumps tend to be very big, um, you know, for those countries that did move in the same direction, uh, you had over 30% then uh, move in a greater, greater than a standard deviation from their original ranking spot. So very big changes once we adjust for now, Just one thing to, to mention here is that there were, you know, some elements, especially here in the United States, where economic freedom did actually sort of improve with some of our COVID policies. There were some uh, relaxations of like occupational licensing and, and for restaurants, allowing them to have takeout service or, or uh, takeout uh, cocktails. Uh, which we didn't have before, some a lot of restrictions on tele, uh, reduction of restriction on telemedicine. So there were some uh, forms of deregulation during the pandemic, right? 
Absolutely, yeah. So those were great examples. Uh, to-go cocktails, right, were, were allowed. Uh, there were some, uh, you know, easing of restrictions on occupational licensing. Um, and we acknowledge that in our paper as well. Um, but we know, like, compared to just the massive uh, infringements on economic freedom, um, you know, those are those those restrictions likely, you know, far outweigh some of those um, examples of, of actual easing of, of some restrictions. Um, but that's absolutely right. And in, in, in a few uh, specific areas, economic freedom actually went. Yeah, well, and, and then I guess another question is like, you know, how did these uh, restrictions on freedom end up translating into economic performance? Because we know that there's a tremendous uh, lots of papers showing that act, freer countries grow faster and have uh, more prosperity. So I guess that's one of the things for maybe future research to see how uh, pandemic restrictions on economic activity how, uh, impacted uh, a country's economies. Absolutely. I know there, there's certainly some working papers out there now that have looked at, you know, things like production shortages and, and, and uh, health outcomes, like did these, you know, restrictions help health outcomes? Did they contract growth? Did they contract market activity? Uh, and we're hoping that, that uh, Dr. Powell and I, we're hoping that our work here uh, would be helpful uh, in that future research, um, you know, looking at, you know, relative economic freedom and looking at the trade-offs between regulation and, and economic freedom, especially in the face of a pandemic. Yeah, and, and certainly one of the things that's looming here is that the uh, long run and possibly very long run impacts of the uh, uh, school shutdowns and, and the learning loss, because we've certainly documented a lot of that. Well, thanks very much for coming on and, and, and talking about this. Uh, it, w this was very enjoyable, and I think it's an important innovation in economic freedom. And thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.